Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HaremTG, joined with my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Hello again. And Gabriel Nassif. Hey, Harry. Hey, Pat. Hey, everyone. What's up? Well, well, well. Is it not another week and another batch of Modern Horizons 2 spoilers? So if you've been living underneath a rock, I guess you don't know, but the whole set has now been released. And obviously we're going to be getting into every modern staple that we think is relevant to talk about. But before we get into this episode, we have an important announcement to make. The podcast is now sponsored. And uh, yeah, so I guess now we're brought to you by Card Market. For those, I guess, we should introduce the site for those new listening that don't know what it is. Uh, it's basically a site where you can buy Magic the Gathering cards, accessories, and anything card game related. So you should go check it out if uh, you need anything from Modern Horizons 2. We're going to be talking about some prices on the site later as well. So shout out to Card Market for supporting the cast. And uh, yeah, they're a really great place to get Magic stuff. Also, you might even know about them already because I am I do stuff for their YouTube channel too, to be, to be fair. Um, do you guys have any... Do you guys have anything to say about Card Market? Uh, I once bought a copy of Preyash Gypsies on Card Market after they banned it for racism. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the only thing. That's my only interaction with Magic Card Market though, up until this point. I bought a oh. copy of Preyash Gypsies. Okay, Gav, do you have anything to easy. follow up from that? Um, no, I'm way too uh, lazy to... Uh... No, I just I just borrow cards or play on Magic Online and <laughs> Arena when I go to tournaments. Just what a classic Magic pro, just always trying to borrow and scalp the the most you can. I mean, cl- classic gap. But as always, do you want to support the cast as well alongside Card Market, the best place online to get Magic cards? Go check out our Patreon, patreoncom metagame. No pressure to do so, but it's the best place to support us. And uh, yeah, we could chill out all day, but let's be real. People are here to listen to us talk about Modern Horizon 2 spoilers. Uh, And I think last week, people couldn't really follow along very well. So if you'd like to follow along with the cards that we're speaking about, we're at mythicspoiler.com, and we've sorted the cards by newest spoilers first, and we're starting from May 27th. So if you go there, scroll down to May 27th, you can scroll up and, I guess, listen along. But uh, Pat, I think you had a card that you wanted to start off the cast with, so why don't you take it away? Right. So, yes, Harry, you're right. We are starting on May 27th, but we're starting with the, the very last card of May 27th, which wasn't spoiled when we did our episode last week. And I'm going to talk about Sanctum Weaver. Sanctum Weaver is a two-mana enchantment creature dryad. It costs one green and one color to cast. It's a zero-two. And it says, tap, add X mana to your mana, of any one color to your mana pool, where X is the number of enchantments you control. Uh, this seems like a pretty, like, Pushed mana, mana, mana creature for, uh, you know, enchantress strategy. I mean, it's obviously kind of pretty, you know, pretty self-evident. That's what it's it's a plant for. But I wanted to just kind of highlight that there's a two mana infinite, two card infinite mana combo with this with a card called Free from the Real from Saviors of Kamigawa, which is one blue and two colors uh, creature enchantment. It says uh, enchanted creature has one blue tap target tap enchanted creature or one blue untap enchanted creature. So if you put that on Sanctum Weaver on turn three, you can just make an infinite mana of any one co- of any of any combination of colors. I mean, we've seen multiple uh, two two card infinite mana combos in in modern in the past, and they've been pretty good. I mean, if I think about like Devoted Druid and uh, the Zero of Remedies uh, combo, and also like I think that this uh, Free from the Real seen a little bit of play in kind of like a like a ramp deck as well. 
uh, previously. So do you think this card has any kind of like implications for like, you know, just two card combos to kind of make infinite mana or do you think it's like it enables enchantress strategies? Okay, look, I hate to break it to you boys. I'm kind of a heartbreaker when it comes to spoiler season, but let's be real, this combo ain't good. I'm sorry, I'm calling it now. This combo ain't good, okay? Uh, and the reason is that, well, A, I don't see the Vizier combo around in modern right now because Heliod's a better option. And B, I think that this is even more fragile than Vizier combo because what was good about Vizier combo in the most recent... Uh, modern format is that it played Luris. You can't play Luris with free from the realm or free freed from the real, sorry, because it's three mana. So I'm not confident in this strategy. You gotta have a good build around any sort of interaction, you're instantly screwed. Because with the Vizier deck, not only were you good against something like Path to Exile or whatever, because you could sack the Vizier by putting counters on it, uh, and then obviously getting it back with Luris. I feel like this deck burns out easy. If you draw free from the real, it's a terrible card on its own, I, I, I presume. And um, I just don't see why you'd want to play this over Heliod when you have cards like Captain Ranger of Eos to help you with interaction. And you have Collected Company. I, I don't see that card. You know, I don't see this combo being much better than uh, Heliod. Heliod right, combo. Well, well, hear me out. What if you just put this in an Enchantress shell? I mean, there's nothing better to do with infinite mana than to cast a bunch of cards that draw you cards. I can, I see, I see you have a little, you can build a little bit more redundancy, that kind of card advantage aspect that you like alluded to with Lurus. I feel like you can just build that into your deck as, as the Enchantress, as an Enchantress kind of style deck that just has this combo in it that gives it as kind of like, you know, Maybe you're like you think the enchanters are like clunky because like you know, you know it costs a lot of mana to kind of get your engine going. But if you have this infinite mana kind of like nut draw, then essentially like you kind of get both the attrition element and also the kind of fast combo that you, know, you kind of need to survive in modern. We'll also point out that this this combo is not actually like uh, weak to lava dart because it's got two toughness. So at least you're gonna get blown out by lava dart, which uh, vizier combo could could get done could happen to the vizier combo. So isn't it a two for two? Dart, flashback, dart, two cards for two cards. But yeah, sure, but it's all like it costs him a land as well, right? Like, I, obviously, it's like not great that you're reaching a die, but like you're talking about dice to removal is like n not as big of a you know, cost as kind of like dies to lava dart, which means that your next attempt to combo dies to lava dart too. Oh, I see. Oh, because the vizier can be pinged. I, I see what you mean. I mean, the problem I have with this though is like, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, vizier on its own is kind of weak, but. I just, uh, like, Freed from the Real is so bad on its own, right? You you can't cast it on its own in reality. Look, Gab, I want to hear your opinion on this. Divide me and Pat. Who, who's right? Who's wrong here? I agree with both of your points. It's nice that you have the, the turn-free potential in Goldfish matchups, you know, against other combo decks, or... Decks that don't interact a ton in the early game. And I also agree that it's fragile. All of the Enchantress stuff seems pretty fragile to me. You don't have Argosian Enchantress, which is by far the best one. So I don't expect Enchantress to be tier one or that deck to be tier one, but it could have it could be just strong enough that it's in the meta. And if somehow the the red decks, the fatal push decks, the bold decks get, you know moved out of the meta, um, and you have more decks like something like Merfolk that's you know disrupts you in, in a way that you don't really care about. Maybe maybe Sanctum Weaver as a player. It is 
I mean, as pushed as you can push it, right? I mean, uh, of course, it, it could be for toughness and not die to bold, but I don't think that would be reasonable. So yeah, I guess uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, D does a Niv, a uh, five-color Niv, still play Syl Sylvan Karyatid in, in Modern? I'm not sure if it ever did. They usually play Birds and Sprawl. That's more of the Pioneer version that relied on Karyatid. Mm -hmm. Because I'm only wondering, like, how, you know, these, like, big mana decks use two-mana creatures. But I get, like, two-mana mana creatures. But I think this, like, this creature will tap for a lot of mana, which is what I like about it. I don't know. It's something we definitely got to wait and see kind of kind of what happens. But uh, a nice card that I wanted to move on to that uh, has caused a lot of talk in the control community is Vindicate. I don't think we talked about this last week. But I guess for those who don't know what it does, it's a reprint. It's one white and a black, and it's a sorcery. It says destroy target permanent. So obviously if you show this to me, I'm going to say this is a nice Esper control card. And, well, I say it's a nice Esper control card. I found it really hard to evaluate. On my card market YouTube video, I'm not going to lie, I did say it's going to see play in Esper control, only because I was scared of the YouTube comment section. For once, I was afraid of some hate. So I just took the sense of it's going to see play, but I really don't know. I, I genuinely don't know because this, like, what lands are we looking to destroy in modern right now? I don't, like, Tron isn't really a thing. We've got Counterspell now for Tron 2, and I guess it's nice that it destroys Planeswalkers, but we've got sideboard cards like Ces Celestial Purge that really deals with all the Planeswalkers we're scared of. So, you know, what is, I'm honestly leaning towards it's not actually that good. What do you think, Gab? Yeah, usually don't think sorcery speed when you talk about control decks, but this card is just so versatile. People play Pillage in Modern, and this is just much better than Pillage. Obviously, different color combination. It could be the case that, you know, you have that classic problem in Modern, almost no matter what deck you're playing, that you're not going to have enough sideboard slots to cover all your bases. And a card like Vindicate, just so versatile that you could imagine having maybe one or two in your main deck have that kind of catch-all solid card that can flashback with Snapcaster and maybe a couple more in the sideboard, uh, you know, acting as your, your stone rain in Tron matchup if Tron survives all the hate thrown at it. The downside, or one of the downsides, is it gets countered by Veil of Summer. So that's not great. That is rough. Yeah, I hate this already. <laughs> yeah. I think I think when you see this card, you maybe think more about a mid-range, white-black deck, Mardu deck, you know, maybe in a Croxa deck, just a super versatile card. So uh, I'm guessing it'll see play, but I could also see it not be part of any of the tier one lists. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if um, Tron somehow did come back quote unquote would you would you see esper control playing this or is it just too slow do you think would you rather have field of ruin i think you know maybe both maybe okay maybe maybe, maybe a field of ruin or two or uh vindicate i think it getting hit by villa of summer that sorcery speed's a, a pretty big deal though so kind of tough you can't fight over it with your force of negations tough tough to predict yeah that makes a lot of sense right next card's a reprint that's Braid's Cabal Minion. Uh, it's two black and two colors for a legendary creature human minion. 
It's 2 2, and at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices an artifact, creature, or land. I think this is historically, like, I think it's from his Odyssey originally, but this is a historically very powerful magic card that hasn't really seen a home for a very long time. Obviously, it's not good enough for Legacy, really, but that's the only format it's been legal in, really. I'm, I'm I think this card's very powerful and fits nicely into kind of Liliana the Veil style strategies. Um, do you think this kind of got the legs of modern in the current current era? I doubt it. It seems just so fragile and not kind of tough to build around. Lots of decks putting permanents in play, lures and bubbles and whatnot. The cards I'll play in Block Constructed, Odyssey, I actually played it uh, at the PT. I think I played it later in some opposition deck, bug opposition, and opposition as my four drop and a few braids on top of things. I I doubt it without you know putting it extend, extensive thoughts in, into the cards. The problem of looking at this card is for it to be good, your draws have to be like so nuts. Like maybe, maybe this card would be good though in a grief deck. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you have Grief, Ephemerate, and maybe, like, one or two Braids. So when you have these nut draws of, like, discard everything, then they have just lands, and then you just, like, Braids turn four, and yeah, they that lose. Seems like the, that seems like the, the natural home for it is in a kind of, you know, resource, you know, a deck that's, like, fully focused on resource denial, and we're kind of getting to that point. If you look at, like, the kind of blue black-white cards available at the moment, I mean, like, obviously, it's printed Vindicate as well. Um I think maybe we get into critical mass where, like, you know, Braids finds a home in that sort of strategy. It is very weak to Planeswalkers, though. Like, if your opponent just puts, like, a Jace in the play, like, how do they possibly win if Braids is your strategy? I think it's, like, you know, you're right, Harry. If it's going to see play, it's going to be this kind of, like, top end of, like, you know, like a role-playing slot rather than a kind of full-on build around. Yeah, you do have Smallpox and Vindicate now to go with Braids, so maybe White Black Hex, also pretty decent with Croxaw. Just feeds feeds your graveyards. Yep, that's definitely true. Possible, but not likely. It's also good with your own planeswalkers. I think that's that's something that we have. Uh, you know, maybe we've kind of like danced around danced around saying. I don't know it's an interesting card. It's yeah. always been one of my favorite magic cards, but I've never really put it into play. Yeah, I used to love that card. I got to play it a lot, and yeah, it's a ton of fun. Okay, I think I should do the next one because I've played the most Stone Blade in modern i think out of us three well i got so many questions about this card on my stream just my title was uh modern horizons 2 spoiler talk and this was the most mentioned card it's caldra complete it's a seven mana legendary artifact equipment it's, it's living it has living weapon and indestructible and it says equipped creature gets plus five plus five has first strike trample indestructible haste and Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a creature, exile that creature, and it's equip seven. So, of course, many people were saying to me that this is a better Batra Skull, and Blue-White Stoneblade is revived. And I had to quickly shut them down, sadly, as uh, this card is really not reviving Blue-White Stoneblade. There's a reason I haven't played that deck in a very long time, and this card is not making me play it. I'm not going to lie. So, something that... I first thought when I saw this card, I actually said this card is going to revise Stoneblade because I thought that it had lifelink and vigilance. But if you reread the card, it only has first strike, trample, indestructible, and haste. 
everything that Blue White Stoneblade does not want. You need lifelink and you need vigilance. If they had one or the other, maybe it would be no, it probably would be playable. But having none, nah, this is trash. I think this card is good though. There used to be that like Bone Crusher Giant Stoneforge Mystic Season Pyromancer deck, and it was like Mardu, and they played like Lily Veils and stuff. I think that guy, oh, what's his name? I don't remember the Magic Online user's name, but he was he he's had a ton of results that we talked about on the podcast. He he developed that deck. Um, I think that has a home there because it has haste and first strike. But now nah, this this ain't doing much in the format. I'm not gonna lie. What what do you guys think though? I think this card is different to Battleskull. I think if you look at it and compare it directly to Battleskull, it's not a great comparison. This card's much better at racing than Battleskull is. This game, this card, like if you stoneforge with this and then put it in the play on turn three, you're attacked for five on turn three. It can close the game out pretty quickly against a deck like, you know, any combo deck. So if you've like, you know, Caldera complete, start attacking them with, with mana up, that's a pretty powerful thing. I, whether or not it's better than just like putting Sword of Feast and Famine on your creature is debatable. It just gets started a lot slower. Uh, the sword does. So maybe this has a role, but if you're gonna like it really asks the question, do you just does your sixty card deck want the third the third equipment at all? Or do you want to play this card on your sideboard? Which is a huge, uh hugely valuable sideboard slot. I think the answer is no on both counts, but I can see that this, you know, card might have a place. It's especially interesting if your opponent like thinks that they're only soft you know, their combo deck is, like, only going to, like, lose to, like, you get putting sword on your creature, and then you just tutor this up, and they can't, like, disenchant it or whatever whatever card they've brought in. That's kind of, like, an interesting little, like, counterplay against people who want to interact with your your equipment. But I'm, I'm with you. I don't think this is moving the needle on Stoneblade. Agree with both of you. Tons of downside. Um, if you, your Stoneforge Mystic die, you're pretty much stuck with that card in hand the entire game. Batter's Call was already... Tough, five mana is a lot. This is seven. If your creature gets pathed, you're not re-equipping anytime soon. You've got suspend now. If that card sees play, that, that wrecks you. And Harry, you made a good point. No vigilance, no no lifelink, meaning you can't race an aggro deck. You can't go for that card against an aggro deck. So it means you have to have that in your deck, then batter skull for the aggro matchups, and you need a sword. And you, that's a lot of equipment and a lot of uh, bad draw, so it might be a role player, but it's not a game changer. All right, sounds like we can move on. Next card, I don't think you made it on your list, Pat, but I think I, we should mention it. Gayada Drone Dihara. It's a Planeswalkers for Grixis Mana Cost plus one, a red, a black, a blue, and one. It starts with four loyalty counter, legendary Planeswalker Dihara. It has protection from permanence with corruption counters on them. It has a plus one. Each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Put a corruption counter on up to one other target creature or planeswalker. It has a minus three. Gain control of target creature or planeswalker until end of turn. Untap it and put a corruption counter on it. It gains haste until end of turn. And a minus seven. Gain control of each permanent with a corruption counter on it. So sure, same Cassicon as Jace, might not be as good as Jace, but it protects itself fairly well. The plus one makes it puts it out of reach of burn spells. You gain a lot of life. 
you put a corruption counter on one of your creatures and that creature can't deal damage to Dihara anymore. The minus three protects itself too. And it can be super impactful if you steal a Planeswalker with you know, ultimate counters or ultimate loyalty, you just get to ultimate the Planeswalkers. So I think that card is strong, just maybe in complement to Jace. Dif- different roles, you know, harder to kill and pretty versatile, honestly. So I, I like it. I think I'll see play. So my issue with this card is largely that if it leaves play, then it's achieved nothing with its plus and minus ability. I mean, sure, it gains you a little bit of life and, you know, they lose a little bit of life, but the, having corruption counters on permanence does nothing if the card isn't, this, this plays or isn't in play. It reminds me a little bit of, like, Gideon of the Trials in that respect. Like, it's good at kind of, like, you know, protecting itself from their lone threat. And, you know, it's better than Gideon of the Trials in a lot of respects because it can, you know, start, you know, distributing corruption counters around. But if this ever leaves play, that stops, to it, stops being a thing. Uh, you know, similar to Gideon of the Trials, it's also quite good at, like, threatening planeswalkers. You know, with its uh, with threat and ability here, where versus Gideon's uh, uh, zero ability to turn itself into a four four. So, like, I see a little bit of parallel in that in that realm, and but I, I think it's fighting for a particularly competitive slot in the mana curve, a, a competitive role in a lot of these groups' colored decks. One thing I will give it credit for is it has three different colored mana symbols, which is pretty good with pitching cards like grief or subtlety. So maybe it finds a little bit of utility in a deck that's trying to like play a lot of like you know, force of negations and free spells and stuff like that. It just needs the kind of extra colored card for a bunch of different roles. But yeah, it's an interesting card. It's more of a kind of like building a building a kind of like prison fort kind of a pillow fort kind of card in, in my respect. I do like that it's like a card that you can put into play against an aggro deck and tick it up and actually like contributes to you like not dying, which a deck like you know, a card like Jace doesn't really do. Like putting Jace into plans is brainstorming means that you really have to live to your fifth turn. Whereas this elite kind of like neutralizes one of their threats, gains you two life, and they may have to start either thinking about killing this to unlock their threats or just going face against you, but your life total's higher. So yeah, maybe it's got a maybe it's got a role. It seems obscene against Burn, right? Specifically, and it kind of snowballs in a way that it protects itself more and more, but at the same time. If you play it in an even game, it doesn't really draw you cards. It have no boards, it doesn't get you ahead. I just like the fact that it's an extra planeswalker. There's just if you look at Grixis color in modern, you just have Jace and that's it, right? Blue White gets the Teferis. But Grixis, you're just stuck with Jace and and that's it. So I think that's ton of value right there, just a second playable planeswalker. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, I guess we'll move on to the next one. I looked at this card and I said, damn. Sorry, that was so bad. (laughs) Sorry. The next card is called Damn. And uh, it's a black, black sorcery. It says, destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. And has an overload cost of two white, white. And obviously it replaces uh, destroy target creature with destroy each creature. So... It's a wrath that you can cast for black black to destroy target creature. And I think this card is nuts. I also discussed this on my card market video this week, but uh I mean 
The only downside to this card that I can think of, realistically speaking, is that it gets taken by Inquisition of Kozilek, which is probably the most thin interaction ever. Um, I love it. I really love it. I mean, right now in Modern, every time I play against Prowess, and it's like my hand is like Mana Leak Supreme Verdict lands, I've, I've got to keep it, and then obviously I die before I can cast the Verdict like 40%, 50% of the time. Having a card like Dam. Where it's a wrath, and if you're desperate, turn two, boom, go, you know, fire away at a creature. I love it. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. There's not much to say about this card other than it's really good. It's probably the best wrath they've ever printed. Um, you know, obviously just cast it straight up wrath of God, except that obviously cost it has a converted mana cost of two. Uh, so you don't even really need to have the black mana if you to cast it if you don't want. But the versatility is just off the charts here. I think. I mean, yeah, you, you're right. There's games where you just get, you're like, cool, I've got this Wrath here, but they have that start that's like, man, if I even if I Wrath them on turn four, I'm probably not going to win anyway. Being able to trade your Wrath in for a spot removal when you really need it, love it. Absolutely love it. Just got to find a, a, a deck where I can go black, black, white, white. Yeah. I mean, people in the Twitch chat giving examples of, like, Spell Snare, I guess Chalice on two, Eidolon still triggers. You know, th there are many downsides quote unquote but there are so many upsides of being able to cast your clunky wrath as a two mana removal spell i, I love it what, what do you what do you think gab i'm not convinced it's going to be dead great in esper control okay. i'm worried about double black on turn two i'm worried that it doesn't pitch to force of negation and you know, sorcery speed removal is pretty bad, but the flexibility is strong, especially when you're just, you know, building building your deck. You can get ran over by Death Shadows and, and cheap creatures, and being able to have more cheap removal without it you costing deck building slots is is definitely a big deal. I was pretty low on this card, but I think I'm, I might be a bit harsh. Um, I am worried about. Double, you know, how, how it works with your mana base, etc. I wonder if, you know, maybe it's not, doesn't see play in, in white-black combinations, just such a, a weak color combo. But it is nice if you're playing a creature strategy where you get the spot removal, but you also have the threats in sideboard games, maybe against other creature strats where you, you get a sweeper out of nowhere and they kind of have to respect that. It's a really cool design. I saw, you know, pretty much unanimously, people just love love the design and the elegance of, of the card. So we'll see. All right. So next card I've got on my list is Endurance, which is the green uh, pitch spell. Yeah, it's, it's converted mana cost is green, green one. So mana cost of three. It's a three, four flash with reach. When it enters the battlefield, one player puts, one player shuffles all the cards. Oh, hang on, this is slightly, slightly more complicated than this. When Endurance enters the battlefield, up to one target player puts all the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order. So it doesn't shuffle your graveyard into your library. It, sh it puts your, your graveyard on the bottom of your library. So it's basically like instant speed, free graveyard hate that's like on a respectable body, kind of like a, a thrashing Brontodon-sized body. This has been like the least obviously good of these pitch cards that they've spoiled so far or that we've, we've covered so far. But I think this is the sort of card where you know this is certainly playable. I mean, it, it's obviously a, a straight up upgrade over a card like Looming Shaman, uh, which you know has seen a little bit of play as a quarter calling target or a card that you could hit off Collected Company or Birthing Pot into when that card was legal. What do you guys do? You guys think this is like 
good, a good enough graveyard hit to see card to see play over like you know more d- directly targeted things like rest in peace or you know Tormo's crypts or whatnot. Does Dredge even care about that effect that much? The Dredge deck's just so good now with Ox of Agonos to go for the entire deck that if you're not actually exiling stuff, they get they just get to do it over again. I was kind of having this problem with Terminus in the blue-white matchup against Dredge. I was thinking, oh, now if you play the Terminus version, you're actually pretty good against Dredge. And while that might have been the case in the past, because it bought you time and they weren't as efficient as going through their deck, with Akka of Agonas now, sure, you slow them down, but if you don't have a proactive plan in the meantime and you're closing the game, they're just going to get all their cards again. Obviously, there's not only, you know, Dredge not the only graveyard deck, but that's a weakness I see. It, you know, it might come down to how relevant the body is to how well it lines up. 3-4 Flash Reach, blocks a Mantis Rider, decent against red creatures. Tough to say, but I like the design. I like the card. I'm not sure if it'll see play. I think the Terminus logic doesn't work here, right? Because when you're Terminusing, their graveyard most likely has a dredger in it. Whereas if you think about when you're going to Endurance, for example, if you spell snare, let's say, a Carthardic Reunion, right, or Force of Negation, it, they still have the dredgers in the yard. Whereas, like, for their draw step. But if you, let's say, Endurance in response to a Carthardic Reunion their dredgers are gone, and then they've got to hope that they draw them again, right? So I feel like this card is played a bit differently in that sense. So I think it might might be all right. I feel like you're more like trying to disrupt them setting up their yard than bomb a big yard. Yeah, I guess I guess you, that's a great point. I kind of, is that, I, I tunnel vision. So if, if, yeah, it puts a lot of, it buys you a lot of time, and if they're if they didn't have a great starting hand, they might not be able to rebuild. If they had like you know if they kept seven cards and they kind of see it coming, know it's coming, they can probably prepare. But if they mulligan once or twice, or if you have utter hate, that that might make it tough. What I like about this card is it's good on any turn of the game, and it's good to cast as well. One of the problems with like graveyard hate and like loading up on graveyard hate against the direct like deck like dredges, if you just draw too much graveyard hate, then they can kind of, you know, nickel and dime their way through it, or you know, you basically don't do anything and they can take their time to set up and, and play around what you have with a combination of cards like Thought Seasers or whatever, whatever duresses they have. Here at least, like if you don't have to fire it off early, then you at least have a three four body to start clocking them. I just I think this this card just plays nicely because it 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 essentially plays both sides of it. You know, it's a zero mana spell and a three mana spell with which has got a decent body on it. And so if I'm a green deck, I would definitely think about you know including some access having access to a card like this. You know, it's just specifically over a card like Tormo's Crypt. I think this yeah. is just a straight up upgrade over like you know Tormo's Crypt or Surgical Extraction against those sort of decks. Yeah, something I think though that we not miss but haven't really talked about with endurance and I guess grief as well is that Vengevine is a card legal and modern, you know, and potentially, I mean, these are free creatures, right, to cast to trigger Vengevines. But these are something that you see realistically being played in the format. I've seen a lot of hype about that on social media. Yeah, I like that. I like that interaction as well. Like it's it's a green card you can put in your decks to to bring back Vengevine. It's also good against like, you know, it's got like backdoor outs against decks like Mill as well. Like you can just have it in your deck and shuffle put your graveyard back in your library. 
yeah, I think there's probably got enough text on it that it's guys. There's gonna be such gas there. if endurance end up being the best of the cycle, the yeah, most relevant really really. in the format. It's not impossible, honestly. I'm not blown away by the other ones. No, honestly, the more I think about the other ones, the less I'm into them. And this yeah. one is just such a perfect card for collective company. It lets you have super high impact hits while also kind of keeping your curve low, quote unquote, because it can be a free spell. So calling it right now, Endurance is going to be the, the most impactful one of the cycle. Did we also mention last week that, uh, what's that new, the blue card that goes in the graveyard that gives your creatures flying? Wonder. Wonder. That also goes in Vengevine too. I'm just thinking Vengevine might be coming back in modern. I'm scared. Yeah. Oh yeah. Vengevine was a card was an impossible name to pronounce in the artifact that goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the we'll see. There's a new basking root waller as well. Okay, let's well. clear my mind from Vengevine. What's the next card? <laughs> uh, this is what I was going to move on to. Is Gorilla Shaman, which is a, an old favorite of mine again from being you know 12 years old and sitting on the living room floor. Um, so Gorilla Shaman is one red, one one creature, ape shaman. It has uh, an activated ability, which is XX1, destroy target non-creature artifact with convert amount of cost X. So this is historically been good at destroying mocks because it costs one mana to destroy, destroy you know, any mocks in. Um, if, if artifact lands were legal, and spoiler alert, they've printed some new artifact lands that come into play tapped, it also destroys them for one mana. This is just a kind of a card that gets on gets on board and provides rec recursive artifact disruption against cheap artifacts that is kind of hard to kind of hard to deal with and kind of oppressive if you're really leaning on you know zero one matter artifacts i think you know this obviously is a role player from the sideboard but it's a card that i'm kind of into good synergy with liquid metal coating as well i mean last week we kind of joked about the spoiled card liquid metal torque the one that turns non-land permanents into artifacts and is also like a, a little mind stone I mean, potentially there could be some sort of deck we're brewing up here. I mean, if you have this card, you have Liquid Metal Co Torque, you got Karn, you've got Liquid Metal Coating. I mean, it seems like a meme deck, but I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. None of what you guys just said convinced me that card's going to see any, any play whatsoever. <laughs> That's fine. What's the next card? Yeah. A man can dream. A man can dream. Yikes. Next card. Someone's coming off from my Teferi's Flame Blitz, a red enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, Flame Blitz deals five damage to each Planeswalkers, and it has cycling too. So, great hate card. And, you know, cycling, so it's never going to be totally dead. It one shots Teferi Plus, five mana Teferi Plus, it one shots Chase, it kills all of them at the same time. So let's you come back in the game. I'm not sure how many of that card you're going to be able, able to afford in your um, to put in your sideboard. We all know sideboard slot has premium spot in modern, but that card is uh, is really pushed. Renin Six is is a card that sees play, and the decks that play Planeswalker, I want to say, usually have more than one Planeswalker in them. So, I think it's a pretty cool card. Yeah, this card yeah. is nuts to me. Um, one thing that I'm very scared by is that I feel like a lot, a lot of the time against these Luris decks, you'll have a lot of turns where you know that they have Luris in hand, and you're like, oh, it's fine. I'll just tap out from my Planeswalker, they can play Luris in a Death Shadow, and I'll just untap, and I'll Wrath, or I'll Path, Snap, Path, or, or something like that, but... 
when you have the ability to cycle, these Death Shadow decks can cycle it and then replay it from Lurus, or they can play it from hand, you counter it and have it in the graveyard for Lurus. I mean, this makes Lurus a much bigger threat than just, oh, Lurus draws a card and then I can kill it because Flame Blitz obviously hits the table. So, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely afraid of this card. I think this card's just a, just a, a spine role player for, for red-based control decks as well, or red, maybe blue-red control decks. Those decks have just been historically quite bad at killing Planeswalkers. I mean, if you have Lightning Bolt in your deck, sure, but most of the good Planeswalkers these days tick up. They go to, you know, four or five, and trading two cards to kill the Planeswalker is just playing into that, in, in, into a trap, essentially. So this card does a really good job of clearing out stuff like Ren and Six, as you, you know, all the cards you've, you, you've spoken of before, but it does a you know, nice, neat package for one mana, and it does that catch-up as well. So if I'm playing kind of like Blu-ray Control and I'm worried about Planeswalkers, this is a card that's going to make its way into my sideboard. Yeah, that card could even be a main deck card, honestly, uh, depending yeah. on the meta. Yeah, depending on what, what sort of space you got and yeah, what, what your decks you expect to face. Well, what about another blue-red card that I'm really excited to have another opportunity to cast, and that's Fire Ice, which is a split card from Invasion originally. Uh, no, Apocalypse originally, sorry. Um, so it's a, it's a split card. One half is Fire. It has one red and one colorless instant. Fire deals two damage, divided as you choose amongst any one, one or two targets. And ice, one blue, one colorless, tap target permanent, draw a card. It's a very innocuous looking magic card, but it's a cube staple. And cube cards are, by their definition, the most powerful cards in, in, in all of magic. This is, this is, it's so unassuming, but it does so much. I mean, the ability to kind of clear out two creatures is obviously really good. Like the potential of two for one and with fire is one, one on one side is great. But also just time walking your opponent with the, the ice ability, kind of upkeep. Upkeep, ice your land, draw a card. They're going to skip their second or third turn. Or if they've left mana up to interact with you, you can ice at end step to kind of tap them out of their counter magic. I think this card's like, it's historically had a lot, seen a lot of play. And, you know, it's it's kind of, what, what is the saying? It's uh, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm excited to get a chance to play with this again. Yeah, I don't know what's the card status in Legacy and vintage if it sees any plays at all but as far as i'm concerned it's one of the best removal spells ever printed probably top 10 removal spell ever printed that card's just incredible does it does it all tapping down the land a creature in the early turn just kind of cycling giving you access to removal i, I love it i was excited when i saw saw this card spoiled i'm not sure it's going to line up necessarily super well against prowess creatures or Death Shadows, etc. But you know, you still get to tap it for a turn. That's sometimes that's all you need, right? It's it's a nice little two mana spell you get to cast out uh, to Fairy Plus. I'll I love that cards. I don't know. I'll probably use it to clickbait on YouTube for for Blue Moon, but I'm not I'm not that convinced. I'm going to be honest. I think the only thing that I like about it really is that I see a lot of Utopia sprawls in Modern right now, and tapping a land with a Utopia sprawl on it on turn two sounds beautiful apart from that I'm, I'm i'm not too sold i have played a lot of cube with this card sounds like but, uh, boomer versus zoomer here maybe <laughs> maybe uh maybe magic has move on and the power levels too high we'll see harry would have been at least one year old when when fire ice was printed the first time <laughs> yeah okay well let's let's move on let's go to very interesting named card sanctifier and vec white white it's a creature human cleric and it's got protection from black and red 
When it enters the battlefield, exile all cards that are black or red from all graveyards. If a black per- if a black or per what? I can't read. Okay. <clears throat> if a black or red permanent spell or co- oh my, I can't read this. This is so complicated. It basically says try- if a black or red card would go to the graveyard from anywhere. If a black or red permanent spell or card not on the battlefield will be put in, into a graveyard. Oh, okay. If a black or red card's going to go into the graveyard, exile it. That's what it says. That's what it says. It doesn't matter where um, it's from. And why is this good? Because all the good cards in Dredge are black or red. Uh, it's really hard to clear out this like, piece of graveyard hate because it has protection from black and red, and it has the rest in peace style effect, so it's not like the sort of thing where you have to get into play ahead of time. You get into play and catch up. Cutscene's really good to me. I mean, for the same reasons that Oriok Champion's really, like, difficult to interact with Sanctifier and Vec is. By the way, why do you think it's a, a weirdly named card? Is it because you don't know what the card Paladin and Vec is? Is that why? I don't know. This card just seems average. Does it go in Modern Humans? Well, I mean, if you're, like, a, a Death and Taxes deck, this is, a, or it's, like, your Mono White Death and Taxes deck, this is a decent piece of Graveyard Hate. That is like also on a proactive body that's difficult to interact with. I really do think that the, the inability to interact with this by a conventional means of like the I guess exactly dredge might interact with graveyard hate really uh, gives gives a lot of that kind of value to a card like this. By the way, for those of you interested, Paladin and Vec is from originally from uh, Exodus, and you can buy it right now for ninety nine euro on card market. Okay, Gav, do you have any comment on this card? I'm I'm lost with it, I'll be real. I read it and I just saw a really good dredge hate cards. And might have applications in the other matchup. Does a little core firewalker. How does dredge beat it? You exile ox, you exile conflagrate, the imps, etc. They only have life from the loom left. They can't kill it. Yeah. Oh, it's... I see why it's good now. I'm so dumb. Okay, I get it now. I get it. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, this card's good. Yeah, this card's good. Okay. <laughs> okay good. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, I'm on the same page yeah. as you now. Honestly, I, I, I... it exiles all the dredge cards, and then they can't put any dredge cards in the yard, and then you can't conflagrate it. I got it. I got so, it. Yeah. Chat points out nicely. The best, the best interactions with this are like blast zone and maybe base, base within. And maybe Dredge turns and turns to another color. Maybe it like starts playing something else, you know, blue or green or white or something to remove a card like this. But yeah, it's pretty hard to interact with. And you know, as we kind of, you know, in a kind of non-open decklist kind of environment, having a variety of different uh, ways to to hate the graveyard is actually really important. Like you know, that kind of balance when you're playing Dredge of like, are they bringing in crypts or are they bringing in ley lines or are they bringing in, you know, Gixler Jailer? You know, I think that this plays nicely into that kind of in paradigm where you just kind of put a couple of cards, copies of this and maybe a rest in peace and, you know, something else in your in your sideboard and it, it carries a lot of weight. But yeah, this is a really great, great graveyard hate if you can cast white, white spells. All right. Karmic guy next. Sure. 2-2 two, two flying, protection from black. For five mana, two white and free. Angel Spirit. It has Echo, free, and two white, same as the casting cost. 
And it says, when Karmic Guide enters the battlefield, it returns target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So when it was printed the first time, it used to be kind of a decent value creature. But then it found home in a few combo decks, I believe. I have not done my homework. I believe it's one of the Hulk loops you can you can put in your deck. Yeah, was... it's key to the key to the Protean Hulk loop. All right, enlighten us, Pat. Right, so I think the Protean Hulk loop goes like this. Well, the one that one that works right now is when Hulk dies, you're going to get Karmic Guide plus a one mana sacrifice outlet. So you might go get like uh, Carrion Feeder or um, what's the one that scries? I'm trying to remember the name of it. Viscerasir. Viscerasir, yeah. exactly. So you get Karmic Guide plus those plus a sack outlet. Karmic Guide brings back Protean Hulk. Your sack outlet sacks Protean Hulk, and you go again. So you go through your deck and you can get Micaeus the Unhallowed and Walking Ballista. And Micaeus the Unhallowed is like three black and three colors for some power and toughness. It doesn't really matter. But it basically says all your creatures have Undying, which means that when they go to the graveyard, if they didn't have plus one, plus one counters on them, they come into play with plus one, plus one counter. And creatures... And so you, you go get our Walking Ballista as well. That immediately dies. Comes back into play with one counter on it. You ping them for one, it dies. And you repent, repeat, and you kill them. Wasn't there so a loop with Mock Fanatic as well? That was it's... the original one. We got like Kiki Jiki and stuff like that. So you got Kiki Jiki copying Karmic Guide and just keep going to like trigger off Mock Fanatic over and over and over again. But okay. that's like con- con- consumes way too many uh, deck slots. I think it's really compact at the moment. It's just like a Karmic Guide, a Sack Outlet, a Walking Ballista, and a Machaeus. So it's only like minimum four slots, but you know, it's pretty compact. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of like, it's probably not good enough to be a value creature anymore. Magic's far too far too powerful for something like a five mana two two to be good, but you know an, an important part of uh, certain combo loops. All right. I guess I should take the next one. I was quite uh, gassing up Vengevine earlier, and I think this goes in a Vengevine deck. It's Blazing Rootwaller. It costs one red. It's a creature lizard. You can pay one red to get to give it plus two plus zero oh until end of turn. You can only activate it once. It's a one one. I might sound, say that sounds dumb. Well, don't forget it's got madness zero. So very similar to the green one. I think what's the green one called? Basking Basking Rootwalla. Basking Rootwalla. That's it. This card goes in like a madness deck. What's it called? Burning Inquiry. It's a card that kind of you know comes to my mind when I look at this card as well as Vengevine. Card seems nuts. Like Gab, I think you were a massive Hollow One player. You know what? What do you think of this card? Well, it's good at bringing back Vengevine, but you have to have a way to discard it, which is not always trivial. So, I guess we'll see. You might have actually too many, too many of these cards. I don't know what the optimal Vengevine list is going to look like, or Hollow One list. But uh, yeah, free spell. I think maybe arguably better than Basking Root Wallach because it's only one mana, even though you don't get the toughness. Only one mana to pump. Yeah, I mean, I think we've reached, we've officially reached critical mass of things that are good to enable, that are good payoffs for discard. We just don't have very many good discard outlets at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, once you have a deck that that is, you know, trying to return Venge Vines or good at good at discarding cards itself, then I think Blazing Rootwaller is, you know, a staple for that. It doesn't look like it's much, but you know, free cards are free cards. 
Right. Next card we want to talk about is Titania, Protector of Argoth, which I think is a reprint from one of the Commander sets, if I remember correctly. It's a 5-mana five 5-3. Five, it uh, costs 2 green and 3 colors. It's a legendary, legendary elemental. Uh, it says, when Titania, Protector of Argoth, enters the battlefield, return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Whenever a land you control is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, make a 5-3 green elemental creature token. I mean, the, this card has obvious synergy with just fetch lands in general. You, you put into play, you ramp up one, you get all the fetch land back from your graveyard, then you can sack it and make a 5-3. So it's basically like a 5-mana ramp plus make another 5-3. Another, another so you get 10 power on board for 5-mana. For Seems like it's a pretty good complement to like various Titan decks or green ramp strategies. But you can also do the nasty little combos with cards like Zoran Orb, which is a card that's getting printed in this set where you sacrifice lands for zero mana, so you can put it into play and just make an army of five threes. And it's really that's like it, you know, all in combos like that are kind of you know probably uh, less good than they seem on paper. But that one it has a little bit of merit because you don't actually have to commit to it at all. You just put the, you have Zoran Orb in play and Titania, and the minute they flip their shields down, you just make an army. Or you can slowly make, you know, a five three here, a five three there, uh, and push for value. And like all your fetch lands make five threes now. This is a card that's no one, no one here probably plays Australian seven point Highlander, but it's a very powerful card in that, uh, which is essentially a kind of like low power vintage singleton format. It's been really good in that. I'm I wouldn't be surprised. This is a good card in modern. Yeah, that card seems like it has potential. I was thinking of Greater Gargadon for some reason. If you have Gargadon suspended, that's yep, a good I'm way to... There's not a ton of, of sack outlets for lands like instantly, right? There's Xurinor, Gargadon, not sure what else, but um, it's a lot of power. Who knows who's going to want that card? You know, is it really going to be worth building around? But I think it's even so a tiny bit of playing Legacy as a win condition, maybe. Oh, very I could possible. be wrong. I couldn't possibly tell you what goes in green decks in Legacy. <laughs> I've only ever cast Brainstorm. But uh, yeah, no, people love that card, and it's it's a cool design. So, who knows? Any thoughts, Harry? Five mana, modern, five mana to make what? At at five three and a five three? You're off. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's whatever. Look, I, I find it really hard to, to evaluate cards like this as well. Me modern's so powerful, but then we see over and over and over again cards like Primeval Titan are just powerful, are, are still good, even though really all they are is like four mana, four or five mana win the turn four or turn five, essentially win the game cards. So this card at least fits into those strategies nicely because it's like, you know, like it's a ramp spell essentially. It kind of fits in an interesting spot on the curve where you might go like, you know, accelerate into a dryad of the Elysian Grove and that ramps you into Titania, but it doesn't quite get you into Primeval Titan and just like bridges the gap and puts pressure on. I, I think that's the natural home for it as a kind of like alternate way of attacking a deck, like a, a way of attacking in a, in a Primeval Titan deck so they can't really load up on just, just don't let Titan resolve and we're fine. You know, having Titania really like adds to that another, another piece of the puzzle in that regard. Yeah, it's a pack target, right? Just great to have that card that's, you know, one mana cheaper than Titan, that Fred that can win the game single-handedly. Yeah, oh, I can't tell you the number of times I've been like, oh, they can't cast Titan next turn, I'll just tap out. Yeah, exactly. Now that card, you know, being a pack target is definitely scary. You don't have to play more than one. You don't really want to play more than one. I'm I'm guessing pretty much any Titan deck that, you know, any almost any pack deck it's going to want to play one copyright. Yeah, almost certainly. 
All right, more of your colors next, Harry. Moderation, a blue, a white, and one for enchantment. And it says you cannot cast more than one spell each turn. Whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. Why is this here? Why is this here? I'm confused while we're talking. This card's doo-doo. Why? I mean, okay, it's blue and white, but it says you can't cast more than one spell each turn. Yeah, it's good with instance. You play one yeah, spell if... on their turn, one spell on their turn. You and then they cast never... a Veil of Summer, you're dead. They cast any Mystical Dispute, you're dead. Nah, there's no way. There's it no has way. A, it has a Planeswalker feel to it. I agree with I agree with Gavin's assessment that it feels like an engine that's... Yeah, it feels Planeswalker-esque, but I can't figure out what to do with it. Would you rather cast this or Teferi Time Raveler in the blind on turn three? Do I have to make a decision between the two of them? I, I, there's no way this card is good. I'm sorry. This card is so bad. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised you guys are arguing for it. Bad cards could be nuts in the right matchup. You play it. You have Force of Negation. Boom, draw a card. Untap. Uh, draw. It, it, that card is... That card could be really good. I mean, it does require some deck building sacrifice. You might not play that card in Snapcaster in your deck. But yeah. I think that card could be good. It it you know, multiple copies work. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm with Gab. I couldn't possibly say that this card is good on is gonna see play or not, but this card is not just trash. There's a lot of ways you can approach it as well. Like you could even give it to your opponent, like try and find a way to donate it to your opponent, and then they have an arcane lab. Uh, it's just nah, lots nah, of ways nah. to go about doing this. I think that you know, if you're maximizing things to do on your turn plus their turns, like if you're casting two turns per two spells per turn cycle, then you're drawing two cards extra per turn. It's like a double howl in mind if you're casting two spells per per turn cycle. That's kind of incredible, I think. I can't believe we're considering three mana enchantments, five mana creature, all this junk when everyone's playing Lava Dart, Thoughtseize, Death Shadow, Scourge of the Skyclaves. There's no think, way. I think that's the matchups where that card could be the best because you have all these cheap removal and they're trying to hit you with the discard spell or grind with Lurus Bubble and you just have double hauling mine just for yourself. You just never run out of cards. What what happened to Snapcaster Mage? What happened to Snapcaster Mage? Yeah, Snapcaster Mage is kind of over, overrated anyways. It's a pretty what? big magic card these days. I'm about to clip that. Oh my... How, how am I the young one here? And I'm fighting for Snapcaster Mage. You guys are fighting for some new three-mana enchantment. Nah, nah. Dead it. Dead it. That's what we'd say in the UK. We move on to the next one. We move on to the next one. Well, go on then, mate. Is it Cursed Totem? Might be Cursed Totem, Gov. Okay, bruv, we got a Cursed Totem in it. Costs two converted mana costs, okay? And it's an artifact. And it says activate abilities of creatures can be activated in it. So basically, bruv, this is actually Peng. You don't even understand. This card is so good. Uh, I play this in all my sideboards as well and all. Did right. anyone have any idea what he just said? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I, I think we should have a patron tier where Harry has to do the whole episode. Okay, I'll reread it. It's Cursed Totem, costs two mana, it's colorless, it's an artifact, and it says activated abilities of creatures can't be activated. I think it's good. I, isn't this just Torpor Orb, but kind of a bit different? 
Who's it good against? I mean, it's good in the sense that it's good to have it as an option in the format. It's good against Helio Company. Except yeah. that it's bad against Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, I don't think that card's going to see any play, right? I mean, maybe a current target, because why not? But yes. even that... I think at, at a minimum, it's a, it's a good current target, like a really good current target. I think at, at its best, it's a sort. It adds flexibility to any color that needs act, that needs to interact with. Karn, Karn already like shuts that. down Bellista though. And which other deck are you going to tutor that card against? Uh, something with activated abilities. Yeah, I'm off it already. I'm not going to lie. This is one of those cyborg cards that kind of just sit there in the format. And you you never play them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to buy some old copies because the art was great. The I art is great. on Magic Card Market. Yeah, the card's beautiful, Mirage, yeah. It's always there on card market to buy if you need it. Okay, what's the what's the next card? Archon of Cruelty. We're talking about these reanimate spells last week that bring back non-legendary creatures, and doesn't sound like there was anything too, too exciting to get, and we might have it. Archon of Cruelty, 8 mana, black, black, 6, creature Archon, 6-6 six, six flying, Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card, and loses free life. You draw a card and gain free life. So you get the trigger right away when it comes back. So even if they deal with it, you're what? You're like plus, plus two cards, plus six life, plus potentially a creature, damage done. You know, you bring it back next turn, does it again, uh, and and you get the trigger when it attacks. That card is, I feel, almost as pushed as can be for a reanimate target. It's literally Uro and uh, Crocs are sta- stapled together. Oh, wow. And they sacrifice a creature or a planeswalker. Yeah. I, I mean, the single-handedly wins you the game. Card advantage, come into play effect. Just... Amazing, amazing reanimate target. If that's going to be good enough, who knows? But you, you don't need anything else, honestly. It does it all. I mean, you could have your silver bullet, of course, but maybe another, you know, maybe what we were talking about last last week, Inkwell Le- Leviathan, maybe there was a few other good ones. I think there was, uh, you know, non-lingerie targets, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the downsides of those reanimated decks is there's so much good removal in, in formats like Modern that, you put all this effort in to get your creature into play and they just sort of plowshares it, you know, or they path to exile it, or they they suspend it with the new card suspend, or they bounce it with the fairy time raveler and this card really pays you off for going out of your way to get it into play, even if your opponent's gonna answer it. And it's always been a, a difficult dance where you're like, Oh, I know my opponent's just gonna remove this creature, so I can't really go for my like combo yet and like my deck doesn't really do anything else. I have to wait for a thought seize to kinda of get around it. This card you can I just don't mind going out of my way to put this into play and have him kill it because i got something out of it yeah i didn't even put two and two together i i read it the first time i was like oh it's like a mini krill ultimatum and it's literally called archon of cruelty um oh you're yeah. right it is a not cruel ultimatum isn't it ultimatum was what five life five life three cards creature from your, creature. yeah i should know but somehow i don't even remember exactly what it does yeah all right. Okay, I'll do the next one. I'll do the next one. Okay, we got Shardless Agent up in this. It's a reprint, so you should all know what it does, but it's one green and a blue. Artifact creature, human rogue with cascade, and it's a 2-2. Two, two. 
And I think when I saw this card, I was pretty hyped for, like, control. Like, go back to the old, you know, kind of band control, what I was kind of rocking. But honestly, I don't think it really fits in band control because you play Counterspell. So then I realized, okay, well, maybe it's, like, decent in Living End. I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if Living End comes back with Charlotte's Agent because they have the uh, three-mana enchantment, like, with Shroud or something that has Cascade, and now they have Charlotte's Agent, so maybe they can start playing Force of Negation. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but I really like that Charlotte's Agent kind of buffs Living End a little bit. Also, like, Shardless Agent into Ren and Six seems insane to me. Having a 2-2 blocker plus a Ren, you're never going to complain about that. Uh, I also thought Shardless Agent plus Remand wasn't that bad, so you can still play, like, some interaction on the low end of the curve. And if you hit the Remand, fine, you just Remand the Shardless Agent, right? So I was thinking this slots kind of nicely into four-color control, possibly. I mean, maybe you're not playing four copies. I wouldn't definitely play... I wouldn't play zero. So I really like it. I think it's got tons of applications in the format. And it being an artifact as well, that's probably insanely relevant. Like, maybe you're even going to see this being played in Urza decks. You know, you've got Gilded Goose and all the, you know, they're already playing green. So why not play some Shardless Agent? I, I really like this card. What do you guys think? Yeah, that card's just super busted. Wasn't it a legacy staple for a while? I'm not even sure what the yeah. status is yeah, there. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a legacy staple. It was played in like kind of Sultai mid range versions or bug shardless agent decks. So those decks were kind of trying to maximize having as few dead or like non kind of uh, universal universal hits as possible. So you have like hinder torax and abrupt decays and discard spells and creatures to like tarmogoyfs to hit and stuff like that. So there's definitely like that's one way to take approaching building a deck with this card. Another way is to do what Harry's describing. Just it's another living in creature that's in a different set of colors. So you can cascade into a specific card. Yeah, it's obviously a really powerful magic card. It kind of reminds me of Snapcaster Mage in a lot of ways. It's the yeah. right casting cost for all these decks that are already playing the auto free mana cascade card. 2 2 Body is just so relevant. You're playing a control deck, the cascade, you counter the living end, done. They get a 2 2, that's, that's a game changer. You can't just have Teferi chilling anymore. You can't have, or Jace, I guess Teferi kind of stops cascade. But uh, yeah, just super relevant body. If you compare it to Bloodbraid Elf, one mana cheaper, you lose a point of power, you lose the haste. Seems like totally fair, you know. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see who used it his best. But obviously, an absurdly powerful magic card. Yeah, definitely agree with you. All right, can I? Talk about Tide Shaper now, which is just another another great card for Merfolk. We already had a couple of hits from last week, including the Merfolk Lord and the Richard and Port creature. This is another one drop. So Tide Shaper is a one mana one mana one one with kicker one, one colors. Uh, when it, it's a Merfolk Wizard, this is when it enters the battlefield. If it was kicked, target land becomes an island for as long as Tide Shaper remains on the battlefield. So it plays like Spreading Seas. And turns it can play mana denial in terms of can color screw your opponent by turning their land into an island. Then it also turns on the island walk for all your lords, and it also gets plus one plus one for each island your opponent controls. No, no. as long as an open. Oh, as long as they control one island. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I really thought it was. I thought it was the other way around. Okay. Yes. Titan gets plus one plus one as long as your opponent controls an island. So it's essentially a two mana two two that can mana screw your opponent and turns on your turns on your lords. 
pretty powerful magic card, I think, in the Merfolk explicitly. I mean, yeah. But between like this and spreading suits, like if you played both of them, like it's going to be pretty hard to cast like three colors worth worth of magic cards in modern against Merfolk. I yeah, kind of yeah. hate it though. I don't know. Is it not really relevant that it's just completely blanked on Aether Vial? I guess. I guess if you're replacing Spreadencies, it doesn't matter. But I feel like it's such a downside. No. Well, it's not really a downside considering you don't. You're not obliged to activate Aether Vial and put it into play. Right. I, sorry. I, I just mean more like I feel like Merfolk should be leaning more towards like. I, I don't know. I, I don't play Merfolk, so it's really hard for me to evaluate this. I think it's average. I don't. I don't. I don't see it as being nuts. But I saw Nikachu really liking it, so maybe I it is good. Merfolk. Uh, I'm sure he's excited about almost anything. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you, Gab. What, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say you add that spreading seed if you want to, or just to the Reshadow Port creature. I feel like what else did the Merfolk deck used to play to Manuscure? Was it just Tectonic Edge, or was there something else? It might have had Tech Edge at one point in time, or like Field of Ruin, or something like that. I, I to me, it was always just, um, it was always just spreading seas, and they yeah. always drew a lot of copies. How how are, how are you ever casting your sweeper? You know, if you're a control deck, you're a double white sweeper, between between that dark hands, potentially spreading seas. If you want to go nuts, Tectonic Edge. I'm I'm slow rolling my uh, my Mystic Gate. Huh? Good point, Mystic Gate to nuts. Yeah. As you said, the Merfolk expert said it was better than Dockhand. When I read it at first, I felt like Dockhand's better better card because it's probably a better better as a one drop and her shadow portability seems really strong to me. But you know, I'm we... honestly I'm honestly looking at these Merfolk cards that they're printing now and like, you know, also counter spell being printed and thinking like this is gonna completely change the texture of Merfolk to the point where it's not this kind of just dump your hand into play and hope that your island walking like big threats are good enough yeah. strategy anymore. I feel like, you know, Tide Shaper, Spreading Seas, Dock Hand, you know, some number of Lords, Counterspell plus Force of Negation is suddenly creating this thing where it's almost going to be a nightmare to play against it from the control side when historically that's almost been one of your better matchups. Like, this is just, it's going to be so hard to resolve spells against them in a timely fashion. All right. Um, uh, what about that? What what about we're gonna be looking back at this set in a few weeks, few months, and in hindsight, it's just gonna be you know not modern Horizon two, but Merfolk Horizon two, just totally take over from the Merfolk deck. Get stat card, Darkhand, Counterspell, the Gods. Oh, the Lord is so nah, busted as nah. well. The more I think about the Lord as well, just drives me insane. There's no way. There's no way. I think Agro just puts Merfolk too much. Right? I don't know. I for one welcome uh, our new Merfolk Overlord. I'd much rather die to Merfolk than I'd die to the Monastery Swift Spear at this point. I feel like I'm like the teacher telling the kids off in the back of the class in all these spoiler seasons. You guys just brewing and me just being like, well, if we take a look at the top deck, I think that our predictions are wrong. <laughs> you're, right? You're I'm sorry, but isn't Merfolk completely bricked by like every red deck, right? Am I wrong? No. Isn't the you're... god just really good against the red decks? But I it, think it's pretty good there. Yeah. But it's three mana. But it's three. Wait, it has indestructible. No, it has. It gives all your Merfolk Ward one, and if you have two other Merfolk, it has indestructible. What does Ward one do? It means it counters it targets. It, it basically like taxes all spells that cost one to target it. But taxes all spells an extra one to target Merfolk you control. Nice Lavadart, bruv. 
Are you trying to insult my co- Well, I'm about to insult you back because Soulscar Mage don't care about Indestructible, okay? So, check me. Um, <laughs> look, I'm done with Merfolk. It's making me sick. I hate that deck. You know what I don't hate, though? It's Urza decks. And that's what I'm exactly reminded by, by Thought Monitor. It's a six and a blue artifact creature construct. It has affinity for artifacts with flying. And when it enters the battlefield, draw two cards. And it's a two-two. All I'm thinking now is this insane Yorion Urza um, Shardless Agent deck with loads of thought monitors. And you're just trying to dump on the board with Gilded Goose and get a massive board of artifacts. And you have thought monitor to help you dig. You got Yorion, you got Urza. Oh man, I'm gonna. This is this is a hundred percent a deck I'm doing for my YouTube. Th- th- that sounds insane to me. Flicker this with Yorion as well. Oh, mwah. this this card is insane. I love this. I love this. I I don't even care if it goes in like Agro Affinity. Th- this is in my heart with Emery and and Yorion and everything. Oh, I love it. I don't think this card's very good. Thoughtcast is very expensive. Was that good artifact lands? They gave us good art. They gave out artifact lands, but not good ones. And you know, Mirror Enforcer too expensive. Thoughtcast too expensive. Thought Monitor is going to be too expensive. It's going to see no play. No play. Hmm. Why don't we just talk about the the artifact lands quickly first? Because we've referenced them a couple of times. So the artifact lands are all. There's basically they're, they're coming to play tap dual lands of the set. There's one for every color combination. So there's ten of them in total. They're indestructible, which I didn't didn't realize earlier. But yeah, they're essentially artifact lands that come to play tap and tap for two colors of mana. I don't necessarily think they're like so anything to write home about. But at the same time, if you are getting, if you are leaning into this kind of like decks that are truly affinity decks, you know, with cards with affinity for artifacts that are trying to put frogmites into play and whatnot, then they're probably things that you will play in conjunction with you know your your creature lands like Blink Moth Nexus and Mishra's Factory. But getting back to Thought Monitor, I think this is the sort of thing where it's like. If if an aggressive artifact deck exists, this card's perfectly perfectly fine in it because it's it's fine at two or three mana in the kind of like early to mid game. And I honestly feel like I, I just thinking back to like, you know, my, my early, early days playing playing tournaments and with affinity, like the cost of those cards comes down so fast. You know, Frogmite was like a, a turn one play so often. And once you had one thing that cost zero mana, then basically everything started costing zero mana. Like your Mer Enforcer suddenly cost, cost nothing. I think it's pretty easy to kind of forget how how simple it was to kind of make, make your cards cost one or two mana. And if this costs one mana and you like you've got a board and like it's it it goes quite a long way. We might be getting to this point where like people are trying to, you know, two for one themselves to interact uh, to interact in, in in modern as well. Like They'll be playing like the discard you know, grief, or they'll be playing uh, whatever the white one's called again. And it might be the point that they're, like spot removal is so kind of prevalent that just having a, a deck where you just dump a bunch of things in the play it doesn't really matter what you kill. They're all terrible, but you know together they they do something really powerful and run you over. Might actually be a valid strategy in modern again. It just feels like there's just enough stuff in this new set to, to make it to make it a strategy. And I think Thought Monitor will go into that deck. Yeah, I don't think it's playable without real artifact lands. That's yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a big holdup, I think, but no no artifact lands or Mox Opal, but it's close. 
All right. Well, speaking of artifact lands, we got another special one, Power Depot. Enters the battlefield tapped. Artifact land taps for colorless. And it also taps for one mana of any color, but you can only spend this mana to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. And it also has modeler one, which I guess that means if you can sack it some way, goes to the graveyard somehow. Um, this one does not have indestructible. You you get to put a plus one plus one counter on, on one of your creatures. So um, cool land. I mean, once again, I don't think you know it's going to see a ton of play. Comes into play tap, but cool design. Look, it might it might be that you don't wind up playing any of the kind of come into play taps. Uh, two color lands. You just play this and then play like sixteen creature lands. <laughs> and what's that and, card with graft one? That uh, Lanawari one. Doesn't that enter the battlefield tapped? It does. So then this is good, isn't it? I don't think this card's bad. I think if you're playing an artifact and aggressive beta, like this card's like an automatic include, I think. Yeah, I think it's all right. I, I, it's down to the, the hardened scales affinity people to work it out. I'm not going to lie. I think it's playable. I just don't... I don't know if it's game-changing. They're definitely conservative on coming to play tapped in all of these. And I mean, we've... we've you know, history has definitely proven that artifact lands are just completely broken if they come to play untapped. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're basically ancient tomb. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, what's next on the menu? I, I have um, Sithis Harvest's Hand, which is just another Enchantress card. It costs a white and a green for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature. It's a nymph. Uh, I guess that's relevant. And when you cast an enchantment spell, you gain a life and draw a card. So this is a two-mana Enchantress, Gab. How close are we to getting there? I like it. They gave us, what, Eidolon, which was four mana, and it was when it came into play. This card is super pushed. They're not going to give us a Hexproof Enchantress. Of course They're not going to do that. Uh, not for two mana anyways. So second point of toughness, cast trader against counterspell decks, and they sweetened the pot and gave us a little life. So... You know, I like it. Also, the, the the fact that it's cast means that even if you're playing against removal on turn three, you get to play that card, cast a one man enchantment. You at least got you know a life and a card back. Super super pushed. Is it pushed enough? Is Enchantress? I think maybe I was seeing how Enchantress might you know it's not going to be playable regardless, but. It, they, all these cards are really strong. The the mana creature. This enchantress, it is it is legendary, so you can't have multiple in play. But if you have one going, you're probably in decent shape, anyways. My question is, what do you do? Even if the enchantments are good, you used to have frantic search into words of wind. That's the deck I used to grind into the masters and make it all the way to the finals. You had, uh, you know, the one mana. I guess you have. The green one, Utopia Sprawl in Modern, you have one that's legal. What are you doing with Enchantress, you know, in, in Modern? Yeah, I, I do think that's the, that's actually the the key at this point. What do you do once you've got the thing going? Do you have an elegant win condition yeah. that doesn't take infinite slots? Yeah, and it's a pity because, it's a pity that you can't turn to something like Starfield of Nyx because it's actually just a slow kill. Because you create, in theory, when you're going off, your enchantment's coming to play this turn. So you don't really get to kill in that respect. Yeah, it might be the biggest holdup, honestly. I feel like it feels like, this is a kind of recurring theme of this this episode, actually, where we're like, hey, we might actually have enough 
tools for this deck to become like a very real and viable thing but we just don't quite a see all see it all come together because we haven't played with these cards yet and b there's like maybe there's one missing little element that we can't quite put our finger on or pin down the right the right card to fill that slot yeah this is definitely pushed though i agree with you yeah i like it you know it feels like they were thinking okay there's all these busted deck in modern so let's let's push it you know let's push these cards obviously not make them totally broken but let's throw them out there and see what people can do with them and i think that's one of the reasons why this set's so so great it feels like they plucked so many holes and gave us so many strong cards without you know i still feel like i haven't seen anyone really complain about any one single card being way too good and obviously broken I'm pretty sure people complained about grief on day one. Then they slowly read the rest of the sets is full of absolute bangers. Yeah, but you know, it was not even complaining. They were talking about the ephemerate interaction, and you know, I haven't really heard of grief since. So yeah, well, no, no, that, that's right. I think that's that's kind of my my point really. That people just kind of were initially kind of like, whoa, okay, they're going way too far. Oh, actually, no, the entire set is kind of put to this point where it doesn't actually feel egregious. I, I, I'm with you. I feel like this set's kind of striking all, hitting all the right notes, but not pushing things too far, at least on paper. We'll see in practice, because it did come out on Magic Online about an hour ago. Okay, well, the next card we got, Riptide Laboratory. Oh, baby. It's a land. Taps oh, are baby. colorless, or you can play one in a blue to tap it, return target wizard you control to its owner's hand. Oh, baby. And I think it is unplayable. So you boomers, please try and convince me, and I'll shut you down. Oh, I just bumped my microphone. Oh, baby. <laughs> this is my favorite land of all time. I just... I'm going to go into story mode here, and I'm just going to talk about the night, the day of the PDQ that I played, where I played Riptide Lab in Fairy, Mono Blue Fairies, and I, I couldn't find a single copy in Perth, Western Australia. And so I was like, I went to every single person on the tournament floor that morning, and I was like, I will just give me any Riptide Lab you have, any chance, any chance, any chance. And I got one with like three minutes before Deck Ridge finished, and I completed my, like, it was my third copy of my deck. And I had a beautiful time, and I lost semifinals, and it sucked. But Riptide Lab is gas. It's sick with Snapcaster, Venser, Spell Starter Sprite. Those are three cards that I can think of. Wizards that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure someone else can think of a great one. Was that was that my deck, Pat? Yes, yes, it was. That your deck. deck was so beautiful. It's the best deck. I've, it's 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 the most fun I've ever had playing a deck in a tournament. The problem was with so good. I should have won. Wizards. I should have won that Pro Tour. By the way, I, I punted to always be the sweetest. Uh, I didn't. I I I figured out the last day. Me and Herberholtz. So the deck ended up dominating the whole extended, was it still at the time? Extended, it was still extended. season. Yeah, the PTQ season was just absolute. So you had your Pro Tour, and about a month later, we had a PTQ, and it had evolved since then, but it was by far the best deck to play, like easily. Yeah, and then it was one of the formats at Worlds, too, and I know a lot of my teammates did, did really well with the deck. I think it was a. a the world championship where Jamie Park top eight. I think Ben Rubin went like five one or six on the last day was this deck to lock up maybe the highest rank. And a uh, funny story, me and her also were testing for that pro tour. And I played the deck. I think I only made top sixty-four because I uh, you know the deck wasn't perfectly tuned and I, I made some yeah. some bad mistakes. You were, you were somewhere in the you weren't in the top eight. You were just like somewhere in the kind yeah, of top, top maybe top thirty two. 
Yeah. And Herberals ended up playing that unplayable four color control deck with Loxon and Hierarch. Oh my god. I think because we weren't sure, you know, I kind of built it on the last day or so before leaving for the tournament. And, you know, he didn't really want to have to buy all the cards. So, yeah. No. Yeah, it was Spell Starter Sprite, Vendillion Click. There was no Snapcast from H back then. You played Jitte, you had. Chrome Mux that was legal at first for knowledge, and um, yeah, oh, the Chrome card was as well. Yeah, oh man, the, the the card was just just so strong, and for modern, the, you know, the obvious one is Snapcast for Mage. You don't really even need anything else in your deck for Snapcast for Mage. Probably totally enough to just play the the one or two labs. It's not legendary. Usually these kind of lands are legendary. This one's not. Pretty big deal. Yep. I'm convinced that this is a card that we'll see play in Snapcaster Control Deck. I think it'll be kind of automatic one-off inclusion. Yeah. Harry, just wait until you return something. Honestly, the minute you put it in the deck where it's not just Snapcaster, where it's got like a Venser or like a Vendillion Click or a Spell Starter Sprite in it, and you just lock your opponent out with Spell with spell Starter Sprite, then you will know the this true power. This is just not a thing. You're to- we're talking about modern here. The top deck is mono red, death shadow, aggro decks, and you're telling me you want to pay for a two mana one one, and then you want to pay essentially three mana to bounce this two mana one one to your hand Mate. and hope that they have nothing. Like, nah, nah, this card is terrible. Mate, like, you really got to get into. I hate that they printed extended. this card because it just means that it's literally costing you guys hundreds of dollars in leagues. That's all that this card is doing. That's all. <laughs> Move on to the next one. My heart can't take this. My heart can't take this. I'm sorry. All right, all right. You move us on then. I like that yeah, Harry was like, convince me this is good. And Gab, Gab and I talk stories from like 2006. <laughs> look, look. Let's move on to Dorothy Voidwalker. It's black, black, three, two. And it's a Dorothy Rogue. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's got shadow. If a card would be put to in it. Blech. If a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it. You can tap it and sack it. Choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You may pe- play it this turn without paying its mana cost. Wait, what? That's so good. If a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, exile instead. Wow, so you can like steal a planeswalker. That's yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah, you can make them discard a planeswalker. You can steal their, uh, you know, it stops the reanimated reanimator deck. Yeah, this card's good, bro. This card's good. Oh, it's yeah. like a three to unblockable graveyard hit. <laughs> it is it is for creature that doesn't have a coming to play effect and doesn't have haste and dice to shock, it is super, super pushed. I don't know what to make of this card, honestly. It seems really strong. Uh, that's all I got. You can bring I'm back his ha- lures too. Yeah, I I'm just having dreams of thought seizing them and taking their their Teferi and just casting it for free. <laughs> And then rebuying it with, like you said, with Luros or something like that. Well, you have to have it in play. You can't just go turn one Fozzie's turn to that, right? The card's not exiled. Yes, no, yeah, but... but I mean, it's a turn three sequence, right? Where you can you can untap with this on turn three and then take a pick of what they have with your discard spell. Yeah, this is like a great kind of complement to you know the extra discard spell of grief. Yeah, because it's, it's great. And like when you don't want to, when you're not going to like cast a spell off of it, it just like clocks them and shuts down their graveyard strat. There's graveyard synergies. Great magic card. It is pretty great, pretty weak against the fairy time raveler. That's one of my big issues. I, I'm not sold. I'm not sold. It is. It is. It, it does look incredibly powerful. 
Why is it not great against Teferi? It just no haste, two mana, you know, compared to one mana frets, whatever, Swift Spear, Death Shadow. I don't know. I think it's probably quite because you're going to build a, you're not, you know, you if you go one drop into this, Teferi sucks, right? You can't, it, you can't really bounce it. I guess you it, could have push for the one drop. It also doesn't do too much if you don't have a follow up right away. And it's potentially a bad top deck in the mid game. Just doesn't hit that hard, even compared to a goof that can often be four or five power. The turn they untap, free power doesn't doesn't hit super hard. I don't know. Unblockable is still pretty good. It seems decent. I think I got to see it in play, in action. Yeah. Really, it's it's really hard to judge. What yeah, what's the next card? I, uh, I next agree. Card? I agree. It's hard to judge, but uh, I, it sounds like people are really excited about it. And, Think it's really strong. All right, up next, Bloodbraid Marauder, a red and one for a free one human berserker. Bloodbraid Marauder cannot block, and it has Delirium. The spell has Cascade as long as there are four more card type among cards in your graveyard. So I see Bloodbraid Elf, Bloodbraid Marauder, pretty decent beater. And if you get Delirium, you Cascade. Cascading into a bubble might be nice. Lightning Bolt, discard spell. Cool design. I'm not sure if that card's good enough. You know, it's a really poor two drop. Dice to Levitart. Doesn't hit that hard. And it's basically only good if it has Delirium. But the combination of, you know, a free one, still a free one, still still a body, and not not you get the extra value later in the game. Seems seems not that great to me, but Maybe in super grindy matchups, it, it just adds up. You guys don't seem to have strong opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate it. I thought Pat might say something as a shadow player, but it seems so slow. Seems like it's like a turn four, turn five card, and these shadow decks right now are trying to be as fast as possible. Maybe it's a cyborg card potentially. I think you would. I think it's. I think it's rubbish. I mean, you hit fatal push off this, and they don't have any creatures, and you feel like trash. The I'll I'll say that this remind this strikes me the card that would go into those old red black prowess style decks like in the kind of Abbot of Carol keep role. It's really good to cut recast of Lurus. Uh, if your deck is full of kinds of like Seal of Fire and Mishra's Bauble rather than shocks or you know or, or fatal pushes, then you, you can make your cascade your even your proactive cascades pretty good and it hits pretty hard. I'd be surprised if it doesn't find a home somewhere, but I, I think it's pretty like. One of the problems with these red-black decks, like especially red-black decks that are going to get Delirium, is they actually kind of want to play a longer game, like an attrition-y game, where cards like Dreadhought Arcanist or maybe Abbot of Carol Keeper are better off for them than this kind of body that doesn't quite play both ways. Like, not being able to block is actually kind of like a bit of a downside, even though it, like, on its face, it looks like it should be great for an aggressive deck. I don't know. This card is probably, probably sees play, but not in a huge, huge volume. Yeah, there's just so many good two-drops. Hard to see it compete, but who knows? Maybe yeah, the mean, very one specific deck will want it. Yeah. I mean, so we should move on to a two-drop that I had flagged on the thing. It's a Rakdos Headliner. It's a black and a red for a 3-3 haste, and it has Echo Discarder card. So last week we talked a little bit about, like, Kitchen Imps, which was the Madness 2-2 uh, two, two Flying Haste, where it uh, has Madness for a black. Um, and we're, we've been talking about, like, can we find ways to have, find good discard and discard outlets at the moment? And 
I mean, if you're going to be a gr an aggressive deck, this is a pretty good discard outlet. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't think that cards does enough for any one deck. It feels like it does a little bit of everything. And I'm not sure who really wants that card. In Vengevine, you probably want as many one-mana creatures as possible, or even free creatures. And something like Death Shadow. I don't necessarily want to lose the cards. I I don't really see it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I've looked. I, I just flagged it as a, a potentially good aggressive discard outlet. Yeah. What about the next card on the list? Blossoming Calm. Yeah, One white. Should... It... Yeah, oh, sorry. We... Yeah, do you want to talk about something else? Yeah, just mention Foundation Breaker, four mana, green and free elemental, two two. When it enters the battlefield, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it's evoke a green and one. So it's one of these cards you can play in the sideboard of your Cascade decks. Since you are not going to cascade into it, you can't replay Naturalize and whatnot, but, you know, just like in Gutsure, basically, the, the green in yeah. Gutsure. So definitely yeah. could see some play. Solid utility card, for sure. Good. Blossoming Calm. One white, instant. You gain Hexproof until your next turn, and you gain two life. And it has Rebound. So on the next turn, next upkeep, you cast it again. This card seems like... It's got a little bit of utility. It's probably a pretty good sideboard card against Burn that has some backdoor outs to be good against cards like Grape Shot or you know other kind of combo decks that target you with their win condition. But if you're if you're playing White, why aren't you playing Timely? I mm. guess because you're playing creatures. You get the versatility. Yeah. It also it's, counters a Burn spell, so it's technically potentially seven life. Mm. Yeah, you playing cre Yeah, if you play creatures, yeah, yeah. This is this card's good. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a card that's going to see a huge amount of play, but if you're looking for something that's good against Burn that gives you a bit of flexibility in other matchups, which which honestly cards that are good against Burn don't often do, this card's pretty solid. Yeah, it feels like it's right at the limit where is it going to be versatile enough and good enough in the matchups where you bring it in that you're going to want to dedicate a sideward slot slash when you're playing white. White historically has had some of the best hate cards. It is nice that it is a cheap instant, maybe in the decks like Soul Herder, just not a witness target, or I'm not too sure what 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 else it would have some some nice scenarios, but I mean it has utility with cards like Snap Custom Age, honestly. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I see you passed a Salt Talisman, the two suspend cards, Salt Talisman and Inevit inevitable betrayal the bribery was just yeah i just i did look over them i i passed them up because i essentially i i didn't think they were either they were very good but if we want to talk about them very briefly no, that, that's fair they're just like potential good suspend cards but one is basically soul ring was suspend free you pay one and you suspend free so you get it on your fourth turn you get a soul ring and the other one is bribery and it has suspend blue blue one suspend free so i see neither of these cards has an actual casting cost anyways let's move on next we have the red and final card of the cycle the the evoke creatures we have fury red red free 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 elemental incarnation double strike 
when it enters a battlefield, it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers. And just like the other cards, it has evoke, exile, a red card from your hand. So an upgraded pyrokinesis. How do you say that, that card? Pyrokinesis. Pyrokinesis. Since you can also target planeswalkers. And the body hits hard if you ever get to five mana. It works with Obush as well, if for some reason you need to deal 8 damage. And yeah, cool effect. Uh, do you guys think it will see play? Have you thought about like maybe specific decks, specific situations where that card might be really good? No flash? I don't like it. If I had flash, I think it would be good. The, the, the games get grindy in modern, right? You get to 5 mana... Kill a creature, big body. Yep, I agree with you. We alluded to this a little bit last week. I think between the kind of upgrades to everyone's ability to cast free spells that essentially two for one themselves and more interaction, that it feels to me like modern's going to move to this point where everyone's resources are quite low, and this this card's actually good on both sides again. So like, you know, three three double strike for five is like not a card you'd ever put in your constructed deck, but when no one's got any resources, putting that into play, killing their creature. And then clocking them for six a turn is nothing to sneeze at. And in the same on, on the front side of it, or I guess it's the back side, really, the evoke side. You know, Pyrokinesis is a really powerful magic card, and it's all, this is also one of the one of the cards uh, that doesn't necessarily two for one yourself. But you can actually recoup the card advantage with a card like this. All right, next. Should we talk real quick about Faithless Salvaging? I don't know. I didn't see if Sodek commented on that card, but it's a red in one instant. Discard a card, then draw a card, and it has rebound. So it's basically a dredge enabler. And the upside compared to Cathartic Greenin is that it has instant and rebound, meaning it lets you play a bit better around Graveyard Hate instead of putting all your eggs in the same basket. You get that effect once. If the deal was your graveyard, you get it again. You get them with the instant speed. So maybe that card's just good enough to see see play. I'm I, I'm nah, not too sure. I think this is more like I think this is more like potentially Arclight Phoenix territory. All right. Yeah, you get your first free right. spell. Wow. Yeah, you get a free spell yeah. in your upkeep. Then yeah, you can that, do a couple things. That's what jumped out at me the most as well. Not that I think that it's too slow to be a kind of fast dredge payoff and payoff card or enabler sorry enabler but for a deck like phoenix having that kind of turn three that turn three free spell really helps you get back any phoenixes which you may discard with the ability yeah and you can like you know it can obviously like put two in the graveyard as well which is uh yeah essentially essentially faithless looting uh level level of uh quality so yeah i think this card's gonna be like there's a there's a chance that it's playable but it's very expensive and pretty niche, I think. Gonna leave it to a sparring spike to work that one out. There's plenty of cards like that in, in, in Magic. All right, so next card on the list that I've got is Murktide Regent. It's a seven mana, 3-3 uh, three, three flying dragon. Uh, it costs uh, two blue and five colorless. It has delve, though. So exile, exile cards from your graveyard to reduce its mana cost by one colorless. Uh, Murktide Regent enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each instant or sorcery exiled with it. So if you potentially you could potentially come into play as an eight eight flying, and whenever an instant or sorcery leaves your graveyard, you can put a plus one plus one counter on it again. So 
essentially anything you flashback with Snapcast or other Merktide regions you cast will boost the one that's in play. But what we're really looking at here is essentially a mono blue delve spell and a finisher for a blue control decks. I think this guy's pretty powerful. It's kind of just stats, which is a problem, but at the same time, it's very cost-effective for a potentially very large creature. There is a little bit of anti-synergy, I guess, with its ability and desire to exile your instance of sorceries and the kind of tension, you know, to keep cards for Snapcaster Mage. But if you're, like, a deck that doesn't want Gurmag Angler but is really filling its graveyard quite fast, this card could probably see some play. It seems like an upgrade on Tombstalker, at least. Yeah, I kind of like it, actually. I think for some reason when I read the card, I assumed you could only delve instant or sorcery cards. And it was going to be really hard to cast, but you can delve whatever. It just It's better if you delve instant and sorceries. Yeah, no, that card, that card might be that card might be strong. Maybe you just don't play it in a deck with Snapcaster. You I, I put didn't... it in a deck like Blue Red Prowess. Honestly, it could just be like an extra couple of copies of Stormwing Entity. Yeah. If you Would you rather to... play this over Bedlam Reveler? It's an interesting. It's an interesting point. I mean, this just kills them fast, and it puts pressure on it in a different way. Like it's it's got a body that's hard to interact with. Yeah, but like Revel is obviously really good at like attrition. This is more like good at closing than attrition, and yeah. Revel is good at attrition. I mean, the casting cost is a bit rough, but if you compare it to Gurmag Angler, it's you know they're both seven mana. Angler is a five five. This one's probably going to be at least a five five yeah. if you cast the pro- it. The problem is you can't really turn to it very often. It's really hard to turn to it, which you can turn to Angler quite quite straight in a quite straightforward manner. If you just cast, like, if you have two fetch lands, a Thought Scar, and a one drop. Yeah, that's fair. This card reminds me of that crappy. That Tron. You know that, like, one red and five? It costs one less for every damage your opponent's taking this turn or whatever. Yeah, I know the card. With Trample. The Chandra's Insider. I don't know the name. Yeah. That one that everyone's like, oh, it goes in Modern Burn. It's so busted. That that card kind of reminds me, like, so much setup, so slow. I mean, yeah, when it hits the table, you're probably going to win. Look, I, I, I agree with it. you on I agree with you on some level, but I don't think that anyone's ever accused Delve of being very much set up in modern. Yeah, Thought Scour, a fetch line with Thought Scour in a bubble. That's your five cards. So you can actually do that on turn. You can, if, you, if, you, just go, if you just go fetch line, fetch line, Thought Scour, you can cast this on turn five. Yeah. Turn two, sorry, for, for two mana. Yeah. Powerful magic card. Don't know if it sees play. Uh, probably, probably like, if you're looking at, you know, if there's heaps and heaps of that sorts of Plowshare, Creature, and Teferi Time Revels in the format, it's not really where you want to be looking, though, I don't think. Next guy on the list? Sure. Harry, you're the famous Tron hater. Hard evidence. And where's the card? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hard evidence? Yeah, that's what it's next on the list. I really write hard evidence down. I'm so funny. Is it bad? I I don't know what it does. I've never seen it or heard of it. Where is it? I genuinely can't find it. It's a one blue sorcery. It's a one blue sorcery? I literally can't see it on the spoilers. What does it do? On the line above Faithless Salvaging, I actually skipped it. I got it in the wrong order. Oh, there it is. Okay, that's crap. Okay, next card. We got... Hey, can, we talk about, can we talk about how, how, no, how it is? No, it's trash. It literally does nothing. That card is 
actual Excuse dick. Me. It's a waste blue... of my time on this earth. Oh, yeah, that's the blue wool of omens. Yeah. No. 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 I'm setting a line in the sand as the host of this podcast. I'm not letting you guys go on a 15 minute talk about an O3 crab that lets you pay two mana to draw a card. We are not talking about It's a about wool this. of omens that you can snap cast oh, her no, back. No, no, no. I yeah. knew you were going to say that now. And then what? <laughs> then you can use your land to bounce a snap cast image to flash back the other one you cast earlier on in the game too? No, you can, no, no, tap, no. You, you can also tap the card you draw for mana if you have Urza in your deck. The funny part is that card would have been kind of obscene like 20 years ago. Oh, it would have been absolutely bananas. It would have been so good. It would have been automatic four off against Jackal Pop. It would have been the best card ever. Okay. All right, Harry, you can read whatever card you want. Tide Regent. Yeah, that's, that's the card, card I just read. talked about. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, okay. Break the ice. Oh, is break the ice the stone rain? Oh, yeah. nice. We can end it on an easy one. It's the black, black one that like destroys a snow land or Tron land, right? Okay, mm -hmm. break the ice. Black, black sorcery. Destroy target land that is snow or could produce colorless and has overload for four and double black. So six mana to overload it. This card, we finally have a punish for playing snow lands in anything because potentially you've got a mono black player trying to hate out on some Tron. I don't know why they would you would ever choose this over Dampening Sphere, but I guess, uh, you know, people be people. Right, you never want to play this over Dampening Sphere, right? Well, you can destroy Dampening, Dampening Sphere. Also, you can overload this and destroy all their lands. Nah, nah. I, I, I mean, this card is cool, but I, I mean, it only goes, sees playing bad decks. Right? Maybe people might be saying that it combos with Dampening Sphere. It, it, it turns some of their lands into... But... Oh, it makes the lands able to producing colorless mana. Wow. That's really funny. Yeah, I wonder if there's other cards that do that. It still gets Veiled of Summer, right? Well, the two <laughs> Yeah, yeah it still gets Veiled, that's for sure. I, I think this card's rubbish, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's cool that it destroys snow or colorless. Like, I like that a lot. You play against a control, like, they got snow lands, you now got a good cyborg card. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but apart from that, I think this reminds me a lot of like these cyborg cards in modern that are playable, but they're off to the side until like one niche deck really needs it, and then it and then it sees play. Yeah. I will say that black decks don't generally have a very good time against Tron, but they don't have very many good tools. And this is a card that's good on the play and the draw, which is a big upgrade. I think last last week we spoke about how, you know. Cards like Molten Rain or Stone Rain or whatnot are only only good in the games that you're probably ahead against Tron anyway. Whereas this is at least good on the draw, and that that's something quite significant to me in a color that doesn't have a very good doesn't typically have a, a, a naturally good matchup against a deck like Tron. So I reckon it's got some got some legs. Mm. Okay. Cool. I had at least one more that's come out since I made this made that list. So do you uh want to? I have one more, too. I'm not sure it's the same one. Why don't you go ahead? Well, I was going to do the very last one. Resurgent Belief. Yeah. Which is the white suspend spell. Uh, it's uh, has no casting cost. has suspend two, so two time counters, and it costs one white and one colors. And it says return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's replenish. And Gab and I were kind of quickly googling or gather searching or whatever cards with in modern with cycling that are good and there are some pretty good ones available 
Some uh, really good ones. Cast out is a, a pretty obvious obvious card that's a cease play already in, in small numbers. Uh, but also cards like Lay Claim, which is a confiscate, so gain control of a permanent. And I think you had another another couple of good ones. Shark like Typhoon. Oh, that's right. That that mighty one. We had Shark Typhoon, Cast Out, and... Lay Claim. Lay Claim, and there was Astral Drift and Tectonic oh. Reformation, too. Astral Drift's a bit expensive to cycle. It's kind of the Astral Slide. It's a wide and two to cycle. And might not be super relevant ability but just yeah cast out shark typhoon lay claim could uh could be good there's something going on there i mean having your things come back and to steal their lands is pretty pretty rude yeah no and it's it's not it, it comes up really fast right it's you suspend it on turn two and you get it on turn four that's that's not all these cards are usually suspend free sometimes even more they're more expensive this is this is not that hard to set up, honestly. You can just play blue-white control with a bunch of cheap instants. Yep. You cycle something, suspend that on turn two, interact on turn three. In your upkeep, boom, turn four, you cycle shark typhoons. You play, start playing cantrips. You start getting sharks. You steal a couple lands. You know what else, you know what else I realized? There's the thirst for knowledge that's for enchantments as well. Yeah. I feel it's like good. you... Yeah. That's a good blue card. I, actually, I really... I like that idea, though, of having like being like blue-white control... And having counter spells and like force of negation and stuff like that, and just having this with like this, this the numbers on it are really good. Like two mana to cast, two mana, two time counters. That's really, but that's that's pushed. Yeah, I like it. All right, it's kind of an exciting card. I mean, it's not our, I guess, not our deck that totally scoops the graveyard hate. If you're kind of all in on that, I mean, I guess you still have hard casting shark typhoons and cast sets and lay claims, but. You know, that's that's the point, right? You kind of like get to play like a little bit of a fair game, but you can yeah. just be like, you know, cycle my shark typhoon, cast out your thing, cast a counter spell. Yeah. Your your Teferi colors too, which is probably nice, just kind of anti hate card in some ways. You get to yeah. play Force of Negation. That yeah, no, that card is super aggressively costed, honestly. There's also I also want to say that there's the um there's that enchantment that costs white, white, and one that says when it comes to play, it exiles all creatures and you put that many vanishing counters on it. That's another really good card to get back. But you can just put that into play, let it vanish, vanish away, and you can stack your triggers in such a way that it goes to the graveyard first, all their creatures come back, then you can just replenish it, replenish them back into, back into play. That sets up quite nicely, I think. Which card and, is and, that already? It's, uh, it's from, uh, we talked about it last week in brief. So I'm going to try and find the name of it. Oh, we also mentioned that um the seal the this... seals are legal, so seal of removal and seal of primordium. Yeah, uh, sorry, seal of primordium, the disenchant seal, but it's called out of time. It's a white, white, one colorless enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, and they fade. Oh, they phase out until out of time leaves the battlefield, and you put a time counter on out of time for each creature phase out this way, and it has vanishing. So hmm. if they have one creature in play, you play out of time. You phase that creature out. In yeah. your upkeep, out of time dies. That creature comes back in, then you replenish it back on turn four on the same turn. So it actually works quite nicely timing-wise. And if they have a, a big board, then they all just go away for a long time. Yeah. There's a lot, there, there's, 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 some, there's some pieces of this puzzle that haven't been quite worked out yet, but I think that card's got a lot of potential because the numbers on it are so pushed in comparison to all the other ones in particular. Yeah, you could also maybe play a Cascade build since all your enchantments are really expensive. That works well. You could play a cascade build 
as well as suspended. The the weakness of you know saying these cascade decks was always that the card itself is just so slow to if you just suspend it, but that's not the case for that one. Sounds yeah, uh, yeah sounds sounds pretty good. You mentioned first for meaning. You might be missing the you know careful study. You don't have parallax wave or attunement, but you can even put solitary confinement in your deck and discard enchantments and then replenish them back. Yeah. No, there's there's a probably a ton you can do. All right. I saw a card out of all the kind of common shaft, you know, the cards they spoil at the end. It's just a bunch of, you know, not super exciting comments. I'm sure you guys are gonna be able to tell me why there's no way that card's gonna ever see play. But it's mind collapse. It's a red and free instant. And it says, you know, red and free instant deal five damage to target creature or planeswalker. So that's not that great, but if it's your turn, you may sacrifice a mountain rather than pay the spell's mana cost. So yep. free spell, just huge tempo play, five damage. My problem is five damage might not be enough to kill some of the creatures you want to kill in modern. What do you guys Seems think? okay in Phoenix. You know, I mean, you can even do this and target thing in the ice if it flips it. Yeah, could just be a sideboard card too. I could see that card being, you know, maybe a one-off main deck, and then you have two or three more in in your sideboard. If there's enough matchup where that card's good, if if Eldrazi Tron survives, that's, you know, kills kills all the kills all the Eldrazi you want to kill. It, it kills the Teferi, so it's not totally dead against control decks in game one. Kills a Ren in six. I hate how these these cards are just so punishing for control though, like. You bolt my Jace, I force it, and then boom, you you mind collapse it, and then I have nothing. That's that's what I'm worried about. There's so many must counter spells, and then you have these freebies that that just kind of they slam. So I, I think it's playable, but it's it's tough to it's tough for it to see play. I think. Yeah, I can't quite gauge how good this card is, but it stuck out to me when I was scrolling through this just before we started as well. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a fringe player. I like I like your observation that it's good in Phoenix, Harry. Uh, I think that if there's if it boils down to the matchups where like resources are actually not particularly important and tempo is, then this card's obviously really good. Yeah. Anyways, I think I've got wrap up now. That's fine. You got awesome. a nice outro, so you should do it. Yeah. So I think we should all pick a card <laughs> that we'd like, and we see. Uh, which one's the most expensive on card market? All Wait, that right. that's the game? Yeah, that's the game. Okay, all right. No? No? Was that not the game that we decided? That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Okay, fine. Well, I'm going to start things off. Sounds like it would be more fun if we just have to guess how much our card is worth. Ooh, like, play okay. the price that's is right. One, that's a good one. Okay, okay. Well, I'm going to take the easy route and go counterspell. And I'm going to guess five euro cents. Wow. I mean, f- f- th- which art, which... I think the Modern Horizon story. Uh, I don't know what set is in. <laughs> I actually don't know what set What's, What rarity is it? It's, it's rare, common yeah. in a lot of sets. I'm joking. Okay, let, let me go with a real card. I'm going to choose... Does it, let's say it has to be like a rare or mythic. I'm going to go with... Uh... Oh, oh, the, the the six mana plus a blue, the seven mana artifact guy with uh, that draws okay. you. Okay, all right. And I'm gonna say three euros. I think three euros is a pretty good guess on that guy. I don't even know his name. Thought something. 
uh, thought monitor. Okay, I don't know how, how much our modern Horizon packs gonna be. They'll yeah, be like, like a lot. They're the price the same as like modern masters or whatnot. Two so euros and thirty cents for pre-order on card market. I'll take that. I'll take uh, that. That's sorry, cool. the price is probably right. to be the closest of that going over. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that card's gonna be worth like zero very fast. Yeah. Wow. All right, I'm going. I'm going next. Ragavan Nimble Pilferer. Okay. How much? I reckon. It's, is it a, a rare or a mythic? It's a mythic. I oh, reckon wow. it's pre-ordering for fifteen euro. Fifteen? Are you sure? It's it's the most expensive one part of the set. It's oh, the no, I would say at least fifty euros. I it's thought you said fifty. I would have guessed fifty. It's the most expensive pre-order right now. Okay, card twenty-five euro for forty-four eighty-one. Forty. I would have guessed fifty. I was gonna guess fifty, dude. You have sell, to let us guess. Sell, sell. We all need to guess. Oh, we all have to guess. Of course. See who gets closer. We're figuring out the new shield game. Oh, I don't know how this game works. Oh, none of us know how this game works. All right. I've never seen the I've never seen the game show before. All right. You should watch it, the episode where Mark Herbert's son. It's kind of hard to know exactly how without knowing how much a, a booster sells for, but uh, it's three hundred for a draft. It sounds like eight bucks. All right. One of the cards I'm most excited about is Sithis Harvest Hand. That's the the Enchantress. You know, Enchantress one of my favorite decks of all time. It it has been so good for me first. Top eight in my first nationals was Enchantress, and my masters finished in the finals with it. So, yeah, and it's a it's a rare, it's a regular rare. So, if a pack is worth eight bucks, people just love Enchantress. It might also be a commander card. I'm gonna go ten bucks. <laughs> Why are you saying bucks? Do you mean ten, 10 euros? euros? I mean ten, okay, euros. 10 euros. I'm gonna go fourteen. I reckon it's like six. Okay, what was it called again? Sithis. S Y. It's seven twenty-five. Oh wow. Who had eight? Pat had said six. six. You said eight. I, I said, said ten. Oh, so Pat's the closest. Yeah. I didn't go over, which is key to the prices, right? GG. Right, come on down. Okay, well, oh, I guess. So all been so dumb. It should be whoever gets closest, especially since you can just game in. I'm gonna go five fifty nine or six zero one after you go six. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's gonna be the biggest feel bad of any game or any game show ever. Honestly, just getting your price just nudged by one dollar. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Price is Right's got a lot of flaws, and that's one of the big ones. I didn't even know how the game worked. We botched it for the first two. That's okay. fine. We'll, or we'll I think of a better shield game next next yeah. episode, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, well, we have to finish off the cast with thanking the sponsor, Card Market. I guess go check out if you want to pre-order any Modern Horizons 2 spoilers. Just FYI, Cursed Totems from Mirage, 11 euro. Mm. <laughs> okay. You know that? I, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think you could ever make a living of that, but I used to, whenever I was watching these game shows and people were just so bad at it from a strategical point of view, I figured maybe I should start a a consulting agency where you just train people who are qualified for these game shows when they know they're going to be on these shows they, they hit you up and you explain them you know you try to explain to them optimal strategies and how to do well in these game shows yeah, just don't be a clown it's kind of <laughs> strategy things wow okay well gab where can we find any wait internet? we're not doing life on the line with what? Uh, we, we, we just of did price, price on the line. Oh my, this pocket. Course, no one's listening. That's the most no exciting. One... Oh, Everything life on the Go on then, life. Okay. 
for those new listening and don't know what life on the line is, it's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. If you lose, you die. We've got to bring a modern deck that has Modern Horizons 2 cards in it. I'm going to start off with Yorion, Urza, Thought Monitor, Emery, um, and Shardless Agent. Easy, Harry, easy dub. Harry's a goner. Nah, 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 nah. Okay, yep. what are you bringing then, Gap? What are you bringing? All right. I think, honestly, I might just go with uh, Merfolk on week one if I'm, I'm trying to live. I mean, I've got, you know, I want to try Terminus, Miracle Blue White, Miracle Bill with a Brainstorming Counterspell. I want to try that Solitary Confinement deck, but Merfolk Horizon 2, you heard it here first. I'm putting Dead KW in the chat. You're going to run Blue Red Prowess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. I, I wasn't prepared for life in the line, I'll be honest. Did, did Blue Red Prowess get any upgrades right away? I mean, no, but it was very good. No, honest. it was, but you know, I don't think Plank so. Field. I, don't I don't think so either. Maybe Ragavan? Oh yeah, I could play some Ragavans. Oh, I'll be playing Ragavan for sure. Maybe the free removal spell that we're talking about. Sack Mountain. Small maybe number. even the Pyrokinesis. Yeah, maybe Fire and Ice in small number. That card sounds kind of expensive. God, what a card. I'll just play something with Fire and Ice in it and just die happy. All right, all right. I think Harry has to go. Yes, know. thank you. Awesome. Well, Gab, where can we find you on the internet? Twitch.tv slash Yellowhat and on Twitter at Gab Nassif. You can find me anywhere at HarryMTG on the internet. Don't forget to check out Card Market as well. I make YouTube videos for them. They're awesome. Pat, what about you? Pat's Hello? gone. Muted. You can find him anywhere on the internet at get underscore smart. I've got to go. Hang on. No, you can find me what? anywhere on the internet. You can find me on Magic Card Market buying ravenous baboons from Exodus for five euro cents. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> if you made it this far into the episode, I'm surprised because it's like over two hours. We, we respect you. I guess we'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye. As Harry else would say, you're all legends. Take care.